you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I'm excited to have the Fairleys with us in worship today. Bishop Fairley is the resident bishop of the Louisville area, which includes the Kentucky Annual Conference and the Redbird Missionary Conference. And starting in just a couple weeks, he will also become the bishop of the North Carolina Annual Conference when Bishop Hope Morgan Ward retires. Uh, he has uh, a weighty task um, and a gentle spirit to take that with. He's a graduate of Pfeiffer College and Duke Divinity. Uh, he served in the North Carolina Conference since 1984 with his last appointment as a, a DS in our largest district. Uh, he has pastored faithfully and fruitfully in a number of churches and had served multiple terms in the cabinet. When I was in North Carolina, we didn't know each other. Uh, he was serving though on the cabinet with uh, probably two of the most pivotal pastors in my life, Reverend uh, Carol Gehring and Reverend Beth Hood. And when he was elected and announced that he was coming to Kentucky, they found me out and let me know that uh, we were going to have an Episcopal leader that was a man of character and faith, of quiet gentleness, and uh, of good heart. And he has proven to be that. Uh, I was excited. In his first stop in Lexington for kind of a meet and greet with the bishop, he, he shared a powerful testimony of uh, his coming to faith at a, a VBS that was near him. And, and then he charged us. He said, they didn't have a fancy plan or a ministry action plan. Instead, they had butter cookies and faith. And they went out and shared the love of Jesus. And, and he commanded us, uh, it's not about master plans and pretty graphs. It's about going and telling people that God loves them. He was married to his lifelong soulmate, Priscilla Ann Russell, before she died in 2013. Uh, and in uh, September of 2018, Bishop Fairley married Don Sparks. Don and I have crossed paths, though we've never actually talked or, or spent much time together, but Facebook keeps telling me we should be friends. And so I, I keep clicking occasionally, but I don't want to be the first one to say, friend me. But uh, she has this ministry of word and uh, spirit that uh, is uh, profoundly impactful in the years we've had recently. Uh, if you uh, are a, a long-standing part of Kentucky Methodism, you know Don's uh, been right in the thick of all of it. If you see the pictures of anything happening uh, she's usually there uh, serving on the front lines of whatever is happening. Those who know her love her, and she is a gift in the shared ministry they have. When it was announced that uh, Bishop Fairley would be taking on the North Carolina Conference, the first words were Dawn and I as we go. Uh, and they have modeled uh, a love for each other and a love for the people of Kentucky Methodism. I'm excited that he is here and bringing a word uh, from the Lord for us. Would you welcome Bishop Fairley? As I begin my time with you today, I do want to say a word of thanks for, for the opportunity to come and share with you as your pastor has shared one time already. Uh, this is the first time I've preached in a regular worship service since COVID. Now I've done a funeral and I've talked to young people, but this is the first uh, worship service. So you know you're really gonna have to pray for me, right? <laughs> Uh, and as you, I want to let you know that your pastor did offer me the opportunity to be the celebrant for, uh, the, for communion today, but I looked at the writing 
Uh, and it made me think about a story I'd heard from a former colleague of mine who we'd lost years ago, uh, Jerry Lara. His grandson was sitting in his lap, and he started rubbing his, his grandfather's hair. And he says, Papa, you ain't old, but your hair is. <laughs> and so my eyes are getting old, uh, but I feel good. I invite you to hear once again just one verse out of 1 Kings chapter 3, and that is verse 9. Please give your servant a discerning mind in order to govern your people and to distinguish good from evil because no one is able to govern this important people of yours without your help. Please give your servant a discerning mind. Let us pray. And now, God, we simply ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our souls so that we, your gathered people, might hear your word with thanksgiving and with praise. And as always, O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in your sight, my Lord and my Redeemer. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You know, there are always two images that stick out in my mind whenever I think of Solomon as he's getting ready to assume the role of king in Israel. The first and most endearing one is a, is a memory from Sabbath school. In Missal, Mita Blackman's tiny apartment room. And behind her door hung a huge classic Bible story flip chart with scenes from biblical passages. And Missal Mita would patiently use those pictures to teach us stories from the Bible. And there's one picture that has been seared into my earliest memories. And it is a picture of Solomon. And it has the rays of heaven shining on him. And he's asking God for wisdom. And even then, I thought that that was such a noble thing to ask. And the second image that comes to mind when I think of Solomon came doing a visit to the holy city of Jerusalem at the church of the Holy Sepulchre. And in a tiny space that is allotted to the Ethiopian church, prominently displayed on the wall is this beautiful and amazing tapestry of the Queen of Sheba, and she's visiting Solomon because stories of his wisdom have spread across the known world. And she wants to come and see for herself this king who was supposed to be so wise. Now, whenever I read Solomon's narrative as it has been read in today's lectionary text, I ask myself, what would I if God gave me the chance to request anything 
It reminds me of someone who has been granted three wishes and, and always at the third wish I would say in my mind I'd ask for three more wishes. But here is Solomon asking for wisdom. As Solomon prays for wisdom, I, I wonder if he was aware of his soap opera drama-filled birth narrative and, and if it would affect his reign as king. And, and you've heard that story about David and Bathsheba. But here is Solomon, the child conceived and born from all that drama. Now he's all grown up and ready to assume the throne of his father, David, who despite all of his shortcomings, has managed with the help of God to unite and unify Israel, thrusting Israel onto the world stage as a legitimate kingdom. Solomon is now ready to step onto the stage of world history as king with all the intrigue and all the drama that comes with positional power and authority. He has already made some interesting alliances through questionable marriages for political convenience. And so it becomes apparent very early that Solomon would not be immune to such political drama he has his personal imperfections, and, and what I like about the scripture is that it leads none of them out. It tells it all, good, bad, and ugly. However, when God in a dream offers to grant Solomon whatever he desires, the prayer of Solomon offers a spark of humility that serves as a model for any ruler in any way, in any age. Just think about it. What would the world look like if every leader showed enough humility to ask God for an understanding heart? Solomon answer to God's offer speaks of a person who is aware of his shortcomings. He is aware of his need for some power outside of his own. If you, read, if you go on and read the rest of that passage, it says something like this, and this is a, a beautiful prayer that shows the humility of Solomon as he begins his reign. He says, I am but a little child and I do not know how to go out or come in. What Solomon asked God for is an altruistic, unselfish gift that would not only benefit himself, but the people he wants so desperately to lead in the right 
direction. Solomon has a clear understanding, it seems, at the beginning of his reign of how difficult it's going to be to guide God's people. Somehow, in my mind's eye, I believe that Solomon understands and has read the stories about the children of Israel when God was trying to bring them out of bondage and over and over again. They made mistake after mistake over and over again. And I imagine Solomon understands that with this people, he's going to need more power than he's ever dreamed, more spiritual understanding and discernment. And so he prays, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. An understanding mind, wisdom. Now that's the modern translation of this verse, but a truer reading might be a hearing heart. Used in the sense of hear, and obey. An understanding heart is what Solomon is really asking for because in the Hebrew culture the heart is often seen as the seat of the intellect. It stands for the inner core of a person's being and thus can be used as the seat of the intellect, the will, the emotion. And so what Solomon is asking God to do is give him this wisdom, not only in his mind, not only of head, but of heart, mind, and soul. What Solomon desires in his heart of hearts is to be wholly obedient to the will of God so that he could govern the people. He longed to be the perfect God-fearing king. I'm not talking about a runaway from God fear, but a holy, healthy fear that drives you toward God's purpose and God's will in his search for an understanding heart that would be adequate enough to govern God's people, Solomon looks to God first. Solomon starts on the only plane where rule can give something of redemption again because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. However, the question remains. The question always is whether Solomon can use and maintain this God-given gift of wisdom. Can he keep in the midst of all that he will have to deal with? Can he keep an understanding heart? When the people want to go one way and God says go one way, is Solomon going to be able to keep an understanding heart? You will learn about his story. Will he keep his understanding heart? I think, G, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who wrote, Power Corrupts, an absolute power 
corrupts absolutely. Is Solomon going to be able to take it? Solomon's beginning prayer is not a selfish prayer of just me, but it's a prayer of we. He asked God for a gift that again would benefit all the people. What would we have asked? And what does a we versus me life look like in a king or a leader? What does it look like in each of us? What does a leader king with an understanding heart look like? How do they lead? Doris Kern Goodwin, the author of Team of Rivals, the political genius of Abraham Lincoln, writes another book entitled Leadership in Turbulent Times. And leadership is one of those words that we've thrown around so much until we don't even know what it means anymore. However, leadership characteristics are so vital they're vital in a king or anyone who leads from a place of positional authority. And Goodwin raises three questions about leaders. She raises these questions. Are leaders born or made? Where does ambition or calling come from? How does adversity affect the growth of leadership? Does time make a leader or does leader shape time? How can a leader infuse and inspire a sense of purpose and meaning into people's lives? What is the difference between power and title and leadership? You got a lot of folk with the title of a leader who have absolutely no understanding, no compassionate heart, no will to follow God's path and God's journey. My grandmother Gladys used to say about a person being called in the ministry that, that some people were called and some people just went. As I prepared this sermon, I wondered how long it would take me before I made the leap to Jesus. Although it's a long time between Solomon and Jesus, a long time before Jesus steps onto the world stage and changes the very definition of kingship forever and for all time. But I'm a minister of the gospel. And I can't help myself. Y'all just going to have to look over me. I can't help myself because Jesus shows the ultimate characteristics of an eternal true king. And so I'm going to make that leap. Jesus as king led with compassion. Jesus never looked away from the people. He always looked upon them with compassion. Matthew's gospel says it this way. When Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus led as a king who was a servant. He makes it plain to his disciples as, as they're in one corner and they always seem to be doing this, arguing about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus simply says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom of many. Jesus came as a king who led with a deep abiding love, no greater love than this, that anyone has than this, than to lay down a life for his friend, Jesus led as a king from a deep commitment. He stayed committed to the goal of God's kingdom, even to the point of death. Listen to him pour out his heart in the Garden of Gethsemane. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. What would it be like if every leader and every king that you will read about was able to make that prayer in, 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 in great commitment and say, Lord, not what I want, but what you want. And y'all got to let me take my time. I know we got communion and I've not preached in a long time, so y'all... <laughs> Y'all just in for it today. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I remember my first stint as a superintendent and my wife Priscilla and I was dealing with this case that, that was beyond me and it was worrying me and I, and I had this chair. I called it an ether chair because soon as I sat in it, I went to sleep. But not this time. I kept worrying about this situation and I, I had just brought me a hoodie from St. Simon's Island and I'm sitting there in this ether chair with this hoodie over my head and she comes and stands in front of me and points her finger and she says, I don't know who you think you are. You ain't Superman and you sure ain't Jesus. Not what I want, but what you want. Jesus led as a king from a deep place of prayer. No matter how busy his ministry got, Jesus always found time to pray. He led as a king from the fruit of the spirit of joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and, and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And this, my brothers and sisters, gives us a clear picture of what a king with an understanding heart looks like a we king instead of a me king I remember listening to a podcast that gave more thought to the difference between a me king and a we king a me king is one of power and domination and control a we life is one of vulnerability and self-giving. A me life is characterized by rhetoric and frenzied reaction and, act and isolation. A we life is characterized by stillness and presence. A me life is filled with doubt and cynicism and fear. And a we life is filled with faith hope and love. Solomon chooses a we life. He is asking for a listening heart. A heart with ears, a heart that would hear the pain of the world, the needs of the people, and the voice of God. He did not ask for himself long life or even riches, but God gave it to him anyway. But the question remains, would Solomon's lead with an understanding heart last, or would he succumb to the temptation inherent in all position or authority? The proverbial big ego, ego the big-headed demagogue, or worse, 
dictator. In closing, I know that you're in a series about the kings of Israel. I hate to tell you that unfortunately you will eventually be reading these words about many of those kings. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, just as his fathers had done. But at least, at least at the beginning of his reign, Solomon acts for the right thing, not me, but we. He asks for an understanding heart of wisdom. What would we ask as leaders if God gave us the choice? What would we ask? And what does a leader, a king, with an understanding heart, look like? How do they lead? Do they lead with the fruit of the Spirit? Or they lead from their own understanding? And friends, again, as I close, this is a message just not for you, it's one for me. I happen to be in positional leadership. And I hope that every day of my life I try to ask God, move me, Lord, and have your way. And I know there are times when I get in my own way, but I still pray, Lord, give me an understanding heart. And every once in a while when I look around, that's exactly what God has done. When all my wisdom is gone and all of my little know-how and all of my titles as a bishop, I have to let it go and let God do the leading. And all of us have to do that in the season that we're in now. Lay down your own agenda. Lay down your own wisdom. Lay it all down. And so I stand before you, not in my own wisdom, not as a Republican, not as a Democrat, not as a liberal, not as a conservative, but as a water-washed, spirit-born child of the living God, asking God, grant me wisdom, God, an understanding heart, so that when it gets hard, and when it gets weary, I'll lean on your grace. It's what Solomon asked for. But could he keep it? Amen.